People are very enthusiastic about the change they choose. People run the gamut of emotions when it's a change that's imposed upon them. And so how you're thoughtful about communication, how you're thoughtful about decision processes are really critical when it comes to change management. Welcome to Modern Business Operations, where we talk with leaders about how ops is adapting to our modern world. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Modern Business Operation. Today, I have the pleasure of hosting Jeff, the VP of Cloud Operations at Digital AI. How's it going, Jeff? Thank you for uh, joining us. Sagi, it's great to be here. I'm looking forward to an interesting conversation. Awesome. Well, probably best place to start is maybe tell us a little bit about your background. How did you get to operations? Also, a little bit about Digital AI and what you guys are doing. I've been you know, really privileged across my career to be part of just pretty some phenomenal teams. I led many different teams at Cisco as part of their IT operations. I helped build the first global sysadmin team at Cisco. I ran storage operations for Wells Fargo before moving to CA Technologies, which is now Broadcom. We grew the business 300% in four years there went from three products to 15. Really, really proud of that. I led the only team at NetApp Public Cloud Services that deployed two new customer-facing services over a year's period. Uh, And I now find myself at Digital.ai as the VP of cloud. And Digital.ai may be a new name for some. It is a private company that was a acquisition of five companies about two years ago. And You know, digital.ai has a winning aspiration, and that winning aspiration is to be the enterprise platform for AI-driven software development, and and we intend to unlock endless digital possibilities for our customers by harmonizing the delivery of software. And, And really, my role as VP of cloud is my team delivers those software services to customers in the cloud. For those that might not be familiar, I'll make a bad joke. Sorry, Soggy, you're going to be subject to a few bad jokes. But one of our primary competitors in the software delivery space rhymes with uh, Italian Lira. And and I'll just kind of leave it with that. (laughs) So much to unpack here. First of all, super impressive. What I immediately kind of jumped to, you know, to me on the page even before, you know, this conversation is that sort of move between IT sort of and hardcore type of IT, you know, Cisco, and although you did mention sort of IT operations, into more of still on the on the dev side, on the sort of like cloud delivery, but more on that sort of like operations side. You know, what is in your words the difference, or like what is the connecting tissue for that type of move? Across your career, you got to give credit where credit is due. And, and I know Rebecca Jacoby is, is famous in her own right as the CIO of Cisco. But Cisco IT, like ahead of, and, and I mean way ahead of industry or market trends under her leadership, decided that IT needed to be delivered as a service. That sounds pretty ubiquitous today. It was a very new thing at the time. And, and when you think about you know, a lot of companies use different language, like a internal customer is a client and an external customer is a customer. But you know, when you think about 
customers and, and you want to do things like surprise and delight, you kind of kind of have to pick your head up out of the numbers, right? You, you can be available, but have terrible performance. Well, you know, I, I hit the target I was supposed to hit, but, you know, I still didn't make the customer happy. So when you start thinking about the customer experience, whether it's internal or external, you know, it really shapes how you look at numbers or how you look at things in, in a different way. And so, one of the things that may not be unique, but prepared me for a more customer facing role was we treated at Cisco IT, our internal users like customers. And, and that really just kind of shaped how I approached every subsequent role was how do you make sure that you're not just holding yourself accountable to some internal bar, but you think about that external bar and, and what that means for those people to be successful. Well, I 100% relate to this. I think it's actually a very interesting way to define almost the difference. I don't know difference, but categorizing the the type of sort of like effort and what that mindset of operations, because operations as a concept always existed, right? Why in the last decade or so, you start to see a, a steep increase in resources and talent you know, going and moving into that sort of like operations, like what is it? You know, what is that operation? And I think thinking about that as an organization is built from those interconnected service providers that we all, you know, just provide service to another and having that tissue between them actually define as the experience is a very interesting way to kind of think about it. So how, how does that kind of roll over to the next, you know, because then Wells Fargo and then later getting more into the security world and more into like some of the, you know, other side of it. And then all the way to digital.ai, which is, correct me if I'm wrong, a digital transformation services. And there it's even more client versus customers versus, you know, internal versus external. Let's dig deeper in there because that's super interesting to me. The challenging part you know, this is another potentially interesting thing to unpack is a lot of times the most successful operations are invisible because you tend to be more visible when there are problems or when there are issues, right? You also have to have a balance of how you market your successes. There's a, a metric about, you know, it, it only takes one spectacular failure to, to wipe out like 10 really good wins. And if you're invisible, it makes it really difficult to, to be, you know, net positive on the scorecard. Oh, the only time we ever hear from that team is when something goes wrong. I mean, you, you don't want that reputation of, of the cloud hanging over you. You want the reputation of, wow, those guys really know their stuff. They, they solve problems for us. They anticipate the problems. And, and, you know, we never hit that kind of barrier. So, again, if you look at operations as, as an enabler, you use the word, you know, connective tissue, um, it really is how you empower others to be successful. It's that that really collaborative effort. And you also mentioned something interesting around the proactiveness of it. I, again, fully agree, you know, more than the, the spectacular failure to the 10 wins, that sort of like anticipation. It's like the trees, you know, a tree fall in the forest, no one heard kind of thing. If you solve the problem before anyone ever thought about it being a problem, did you actually solve anything? You know what I mean? <laughs> like the, the, the actually counted as a win. How do you create more visibility 
into what your teams are doing and the contribution you guys are making? Well, some of it is the growth that that comes from from failure and learning, right? I mean, we'll, we'll use terms in in my team like a blameless postmortem or lessons learned or, or how we approach things in a different way, and and the fact that we have five different customer facing services across our software portfolio means that a lesson learned in one area is an opportunity to share that knowledge and, and avoid it elsewhere. So you can you can make pretty clear ties, right? hey, we had an issue over here. Now we could operate in silos or independently, or we can come together and we can say, based on this particular thing that we've learned, now we know that, that we don't have to have this particular problem elsewhere, or, or we can you know, clean up this part of the portfolio, or, or we can ensure that that customer experience is improved and have real tangible ways of proving this is why we invested the effort. You know, This is why we chose to do this a particular way and here's how it bore fruit. You know, financial operations is just one aspect of that. So we did not have a financial operations discipline in the cloud before I joined digital.ai. And bringing somebody in that had the expertise to take a look at how we were running our operations and where there were opportunities created tremendous savings out of the gate. And, and it's just phenomenal. And it's not that anybody has negative intentions or, or, you know, intent to to be wasteful. There are a couple of terms that, that I use with my teams. You know, there, there's a great book called, you know, Everything I Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. And, and, you know, one of those lessons is, you know, when we're done playing, we put our toys away. If you come from a CapEx type background, you've already paid for the hardware. You've already paid for the software. Whether anybody uses it or not, it, it's a sunk cost. When you're operating in the cloud, you're feeding the meter. You know, you mentioned you're in the Bay Area and, and, you know, Soggy, well, I'm sure you're a great guy. If you park in a public spot in San Francisco, you're not feeding the meter with an extra 20 bucks for the next guy to come behind you and and benefit from the fact that, you know, you paid them in, in advance. So, again, it's the where do you start? And, and how do you take, you know, small successes and build on them and, and let them snowball? So looking for tangible cost saving as, as one example, they're the one that you can see like the before and after. And then the first point you made was if there is a failure somewhere, a learning somewhere, even a small one, you can leverage that for like you have five fronts, you in one front, leverage that to see how we anticipated and saved ourselves from a much bigger issue thanks to the operation team. So being proactive, you can attach it to something that people can relate to. I think that's a good tip. (laughs) Thanks. Maybe to ride on that point a little bit further, you mentioned there's five different products. If I recall correctly, digital AI is a combination of few of five different acquisitions that came together, are those products still operate separately and your team runs on top of it? Acquisition in general, I know it's slightly different because they came together, but for a lot of companies, acquisitions are a big cultural difference that sometimes manifests itself the most when you're trying to operate more effectively and efficiently, but still trying to adhere to everyone's personal sort of like style and not force that type of thing. 
how does this look for you guys or any lessons or thoughts around that experience? The reality is I was really excited to join digital.ai in February. It really is a once in a lifetime opportunity when you can take five market leading companies and, and see how you build upon where they started. And that really has been sort of the mission is where can we pull a best practice from one area and apply it to the other? One of the things that, that is really important, whether you're talking operations or, or just company life in general, is having a, a strong foundational culture. And the executive team at, at digital.ai thought it was very important that we have a consistent set of values that we can all draw on. I mean, we can respect the history from where everyone has come, uh, but we can also talk about the path that we want to chart forward. Uh, and so we've now reached the point where we open all our meetings with a conversation about values. Digital.ai has three core values. You can find them on our website, but it's unity with empathy. It's action with accountability and it's creativity with purpose. And the executive team spent a lot of time and thought thinking about, you know, what does this mean? And, and you asked about, you know, five companies and acquisition, you know, it really starts with that unity with empathy. We are one digital.ai, but we recognize that people have different experiences over the course of acquisition. Some of them are going to be great. Maybe some of them are going to be not so great, but, but we can acknowledge those and we can also figure out how we get better together. So part of what I've done at, at digital.ai is you really want to talk about those joint successes, those joint goals. And, and so I, I try to use phrases like build the foundation. You know, we're, we're talking about, we used to do things five different ways. How do we find the one right way? And, and it's not going to be the one right way that, that's universal, but, you know, we'll find a right way forward for us and it might be one of the five existing ways. It might be something entirely new. There may be somebody who's been very quietly observing, you know, where they think they can have a big impact that raises their hand and says, okay, this is an opportunity for me to innovate. You know, this is an opportunity for me to, to exercise that, that creativity with purpose. Hey, we're doing these things here, but if we do it a little bit differently, we can see a larger impact. When you build a winning organization, you have to acknowledge the past, but you also have to create the compelling reason for change. And there is just so much to learn. I mean, it, it is really cool. I've had global team members where somebody asks a question and they're like, you know, we have this problem we're considering solving. And you find another person that, that came from a different acquisition that's working on a different team on a different service. And they're like, Oh, yeah, we ran into that. Let me share with you uh, how it's working over here. And, and, and so you start to have that, that organic standard, the, the how do we partner? How do we learn? How do we boost and support each other? And, and so, you know, again, when we talk about building the foundation, we like to talk about principles of availability, security, and performance. And, and what we like to do every quarter is try and set objectives and key results that reflect the ability for every person on the team to understand how they have a daily impact. I mean, one, one of the cool things when I was talking to my boss about coming to digital.ai is he said, we have the opportunity to build the company that we want to be. That's really empowering. It is a really exciting place to be, 
when you can walk in the door, whether it's the virtual door or the physical door every day and know there's an opportunity, whether it's something you planned or not anticipated and, and have a massive impact. I leave the virtual office every day smiling based on the interactions I have with my teams, my peers, our customers, knowing that we've put away our toys and made the, the workplace a little bit better every day. So it is a one day at a time, but like I said, it's, it's a pretty exciting time to be part of digital.ai. This episode is brought to you by Tonkin. Tonkin is the operating system for business operations, providing businesses with the building blocks to orchestrate any process with no code or change management required. Contact us at Tonkin.com to learn how you can build complex processes fast. And if you're interested in staying up to date on all things business operations, join the Adaptive Ops community at operations.community. There's a few points that I think that you mentioned can come together. First of all, the kindergarten thing. I have a kid in kindergarten, so I'm, you know, I've been thinking about that now. I'm like, wow, everything in his life is, is learning right now. And But I think there's some stuff here that, and I haven't read the book, but kind of using your points, I heard a few different points here. I want to kind of get your commentary on too. You mentioned the values and some of the priorities, you know, building the foundation, the security and performance, and obviously the values, them, company values themselves. And then obviously, what does it mean to make a change? What does it mean to kind of bring, you know, forward innovation and standards? You know, you mentioned like creating a standard, then we can all sort of align on. And I do think it's actually, in, again, you kind of drove from there, come back to that kindergarten concept where it's a safe environment. You, you guys created, and that's a great, I think, tip for anyone, is you created guardrails. Like those are the, the building blocks. Those are the values. Those are the building blocks. This is the backyard of the kindergarten, if you will. You don't have to follow the script. You can play, you're empowered to do those things. But there are some rules of engagement that we have to sort of like all, all agree on. So I love that. You know, I don't know, for me, it's very visual and advice that, you know, people talk a lot about values and it's not necessarily obvious for most, where do become a utility that you can actually leverage? That's a great analogy. I want to take you though from that to talk a little bit about some of the operation procedures themselves because, you know, the empowerment and everything else is, the, like you said, is the foundation. When it comes to actually even technology, you know, it's sometimes as simple as what tools do we use? X, Y, or Z, because there's five different versions that came from those five different teams or all the way to some standard procedures of, you know, this is how we do this. You talked about financials, operations, or, you know, how do you close the books or whatever it is. It's like there are different, there's different versions for that sometimes deserve to be different. Sometimes, like you said, it's just history. How do you manage that change? either as a leader or as a methodology from like change management, but just in general, that that's a topic that comes up a lot in this podcast as a sticky point. So, you know, any advice or experience that you had around that? Hopefully this resonates and I'll, I'll just say soggy change management in and of itself is probably a topic that we could do a multi-podcast series on. There's, there's a ton to unpack when it comes about change management, but I think there's a, a simple sort of two-dimensional analysis when it comes to change. People are very, very excited about the change they get to choose. 
people have an entirely different set of reactions potentially to the changes that, that are imposed upon them. An example that's probably top of mind for a lot of business leaders, I guess we can't get through a podcast without talking about COVID or pandemic at some point. There are a lot of businesses that are facing difficult choices, whether it's work style, commercial real estate, what, what have you on, are we a work in the office? Are we a hybrid workforce? Are we a fully virtual workforce? What we're seeing as a market effect is people are electing to make choices based on perceived freedoms or, or perceived lack of freedom, right? Hey, I did my job for two years on lockdown and now you're telling me I have to be back in the office. Okay, I kind of like working from home. So, you know, maybe the corporate culture isn't aligned anymore. But I, I hear from various different people across a lot of industries, there seem to be two approaches. One is some companies, I think, are being very thoughtful about how is it you want to work and, and engaging the team member and, and finding out, you know what, really didn't like working from home. I really want to be in an office or, you know, it's really convenient for me because of obligations with my kids. Like if I can work from home for a couple of days a week or, you know what, the office is really distracting. If I work from home all the time, I'm 10 times more effective. But having the conversation and offering the choice is an entirely different thing than, a, well, you know what, the corporate edict is it's going to be this way. And, and again, every business has different constraints, different reasons why, but you also generate different reactions based on how you choose to approach those kind of decisions. So I'll, I'll go back to where I started. People are very enthusiastic about the change they choose. People run the gamut of emotions when it's a change that's imposed upon them. And so how you're thoughtful about communication, how you're thoughtful about decision processes are really critical when it comes to change management. And the options, right? So, you know, I don't know if you meant for it or not. I went immediately back to the kindergarten story. Again, I have a toddler. You tell him what to do, he'll just say no. Put on your shirt, no. Which shirt do you want, this or that? Then he'll choose the shirt and he'll put it on, you know? So I completely, completely agree. And I think this is actually a brilliant point. And we see it all over. By the way, and, and again, I think everyone can relate to that working from home versus not. But, you know, I, I don't want the audience to also, you know, stay there. There's a much simpler, smaller stuff you do every day. You introduce a new, a new policy. You introduce a new tool. You introduce some innovation that net-net is actually very, very valuable. But just like a toddler, we're all like, I don't want that. Like, what, do you, what is that? I, I didn't choose that. I didn't ask for it. Why are you doing this for me? You know, let me do the way I, I'm, I'm used to do. And just acknowledging that when you think through it, it's a massive leap. I've been preaching about the concept of people first process design for years now. Just thinking about the, the person and understanding that concept is by itself a big lever because first you can attach to the things they're already doing and say, you know what, that is not something you need to change. I'll connect kind of wherever you already doing. And you are now adding another facade to it that I love, which is here's a few options. So this is not like taking the rag up, you know, under you. This is here are a few options. If you do it this way, that's what it means. If you do it that way, that's what it means. And and let them the choice. This is a great advice. 
think about it with, with your people first process design statement, how many times in your life, whether in the business world or, or elsewhere, have you been accused of over communicating? The job as a leader, usually you're going to say things 10 times, 100 times, 1,000 times, and, and at some point, you're going to hit the curve of, geez, I'm really tired of saying this. But it's really how many times do you have to like say something before that people first process design or that change? Is it like everybody learns at a different rate, comprehends things? And I'm sure there's science on how many times you have to repeat something before it's sticky. But but as leaders, you you, you got to be persistent and, and you know, we haven't really explicitly talked about communication, but communication is absolutely positively key to change management. E even if you're not giving people options, even if you're explaining what the decisions are, you know, the transparency in the thought process or the reason why, the real key, and sorry, it just the light bulb just went off for me that I had hit on this, is that when you talk about change, there's also that dimension of, of why or why not. And you want to create that culture of, you know, let's go for it. You know, hey, here's my why. I'm ready. I'm all in versus the here are the 15 reasons why not or why this can't be successful. And, and you know, you can flip it around. There are uh, other places or, or cultures where it's appropriate to lead with why not versus why or different situations. But, you know, when, when you give people the why, it can add an extra dimension to change management that, that helps people adopt that change. It's actually one of our core values. If you mentioned core values of, of talking about my company where we have start with why and fail fast. So literally the, you know, start with the why and, and go for it. And, you know, if anyone never heard or listened to the TED talk by Simon Sinek of start with why, you know, definitely recommend that as well. I could not agree more. This was fascinating and honestly went by very fast. But we are getting close to our time. Maybe a couple of last questions is, you know, as someone that had been in multiple different areas of operations, what would be maybe an advice for folks that are thinking to make a move, got an offer, or, you know, someone kind of approached them like, hey, maybe you want to do this for us. What advice you might have for some of those folks how to think about that? So... I think the advice I have is fairly simple and straightforward, but it involves self-awareness, self-introspection. I don't believe, and, and looking in the mirror, I would probably believe this as myself as well, we don't take nearly enough risk. Rarely are we faced with decisions in life where even if you make a bad choice, another door doesn't open, another opportunity doesn't present itself. And, and so I think as people... You know, you find your comfort zone, you find your safety spot. Everyone ought to, within, you know, their own risk management framework, probably be prepared to take more risks than they think about. The other thing is, is everybody can always be a critical thinker and a problem solver. You know, the, there are ways that you can have impacts and differences. There may be big problems for your business that nobody else wants to touch or nobody else finds interesting. And, and you can say, you know what, I've got an idea. I can go grab that. I can go have an impact. And, and so I would say, you know, taking informed risk and being a problem solver are, are great advice for how you want to springboard any career. Amazing. That was super insightful. I really appreciate it. If someone want to, you know, pick your brain or, or just say hi, where can they find you? Twitter, LinkedIn? 
I used to spend a bit of time on Twitter, less so today, but LinkedIn is a great place for anybody to reach out and connect. As long as somebody drops me a, a personalized note, I'm generally pretty quick to engage. Awesome. Well, Jeff, thank you so much. That was a great conversation and I really appreciate you joining me today. Well, thanks for the invitation, Soggy. Uh, hopefully we'll do it again sometime. Absolutely. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Modern Business Operations. You can see the show notes and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at talking.com slash M-B-O-P-O-D. Thank you for listening and be sure to subscribe for updates on future episodes. 